Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Is that a thing? Say it again. Keep, keep your friends close and your microphones closer. That didn't sound canned at all. <laughs> well, you can't tell me to say a thing. I know. I was like, and I did the whole like three, two, two one, say this. But I think it's so funny when you just go three, two, Dear readers, welcome back. Carrie and I were on like a little bit of a break from recording, even though you didn't experience that you break. Ex- well, that's why you've been celebrating Thanksgiving with us in the middle of February. Right. Um, but we're back. <gasps> we're back. We are back. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepily. Um, and a couple things happened while you were while we were gone and you were gone, but no one felt gone, it was like a lot of changes happened that mm-hmm. I just want to talk about very briefly because this is our reality. This is our life. Um, one thing that happened is Sarah died. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. She didn't. <laughs> oh I just want to see what Carrie says to do. That no, was, that and was I so know intense. the truth. I was just texting with Sarah. I know the um, truth, but I no. Sarah got a job. We're really proud of her. We're so um, proud of our Sarah. It's a competitive podcasting world, and the truth is that some people out there are willing to, to pay. pay their producers. It's really it's dark for Carrie and I because. We don't have enough money We're to pay. We're on a tight budget. Quinn and I, Quinn and I are doing this pro boners forever. Yeah, you know we that's love all we boners, do. and so we do it for free for you, for you. For um, free. you're welcome. But on that note, I think this is our is it our fourteenth or fifteenth? Fifteenth, fifteenth. Okay, so like any fifteen year old girl, you need your learner's we permit. We're going to ask for money because that's what you do when you turn fifteen. You're like. What's the story? Can I get? We need an allowance. We need an allowance. So we started a Patreon, um, and you can get to it by going. I don't know actually. It's like Patreon.com/slash Truly Darkly Creepy. We'll put it on all of it's our really straight handles. It'll be our link. Just go to our Instagram. You'll see it in the bio. We um, have a, two options on the Patreon that you can give us a dollar a month. <gasps> I mean, come on. That's the price of... Admission. A dollar slice once a month. (laughs) Yeah, just 
don't I did get, the math for you. I was going to say, don't get that slice, but like, do get it and also do this. It's a dollar. You know, settle down. <laughs> just imagine us. We're on the subway and this podcast, we're the buskers in your ear. We're like showtime, showtime. <laughs> but, but not as intrusive. And you can always pause us or turn us off. Yes. Okay. Oh, I like that. Right? No, you're selling it hard. Um, <laughs> then. That was a soft <laughs> That was a soft sell. Oh. You don't want to see the real guns. I don't. I'm not ready. You don't. You're not ready for it. Um, We also have a dearer reader. Oh, that's the dear reader category. Our dearer reader category is $5 a month. I love this. I This is the first time hearing yeah, this. Yeah, Carrie doesn't know anything about this, so I'm literally telling her as well. Um, <laughs> and that is, so for $5 a month, what we will give you back is that if you are a Patreon uh, supporter that gives that, you can tell, um, you can give us a suggested story. And we promise at some point within the year to tell the story you suggested mm-hmm. um, in some form. If it's like a weird story and we don't want to tell it, we're going to still like tell we're gonna, it. Listen, we're going to fo- be like, rule- Quinn and I are rule followers. I don't know if you know this about us. We're it's rule hard. followers. It's hard. If I make a promise to someone, I do it. Me I do too. it. I can't recommend that. It's lifestyle, not, it's but it is not a choice. One of the reasons I'm in therapy, but for you, dear readers, you're it's gonna be honor system, baby. It's one of the reasons, yeah. It's it's the reason we are who we are. It's actually like if Quinn and I ever like don't want to do something, we're like, well, I gotta go. Quinn wanted me, and she'll be like, well, Carrie, I mean, yeah, we literally will sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, if you ever have a suggestion, to- a suggestion that. <laughs> Can we get a suggestion for a creepy story? Yes, yeah. you in the email back. Email us at trulydarklycreeply at gmail because we love suggestions and you don't even need to give us money. We might just take them. But also... Pretend, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. have... Oh, okay. Maybe this is too much like business up front, all fun in the back. But right. I'm going to also say definitely donate to our Patreon because our goal is to make the very reasonable sum of $40 a month to pay for this editing software we have. Yeah. I'm a little all over the place because what I was going to tell you guys is we're now a self-produced podcast, which is another big piece of news. Should we put this at the end? No, no. I mean, it's great at the beginning because let's just like be honest with where we're at and then I'll feel like, we all right, we told the truth. Here's the truth. Sarah left to go do a paying podcast, and we're so happy for her. We're so glad that she got her roots. She started rooted. here at Rooted at Truly Darkly Creeply. In doing so, now Quinn and I are self-producing. So we are learning all about this beautiful software. And in doing so, we have to pay for such beautiful software so that we can get into your beautiful ears. So we hope to make $40 a month to cover our costs so we can keep uh, giving you this unbelievable, unmatched content. Also, what a good deal. Wow, what a steal. <laughs> I'm going to give to our Patreon. That's a little backward. No, I'm not. <laughs> so I think I've done enough. Quinn and I are just hoping to break even here. Like, That's really, all. Truly, That's the goals, Truly, darkly, creepily, even. Truly, darkly, creepily is also the name <laughs> of our bank accounts. Help us out. <laughs> Throw us... Throw us some greenery. Speaking That's not of, a weed thing. Speaking of my bank account, I mean, I know this is the longest intro, but we're going to cut a lot of it. The, speaking I'm not going to cut any of it. Go ahead. <laughs> speaking of my bank account, dear readers, I am in the midst of a bureaucratic hellhole nightmare scape. My tax refund check was stolen 
by some jerk between when it was sent from the IRS to the my house. Someone stole it and then forged my signature and opened a dummy credit card. I mean, it, they didn't open. It's not a credit card. And they made a fake ID and some bank allowed them to cash it. So if anybody wants to yell at like the IRS or was like- Was it Lindsey Brown? Was that the name? That was my fake ID name. I'm just curious. <laughs> it, it was actually so Lindsay weird Brown. if it was Lindsay Brown. We found out it was Quinlan Posner posing with the craziest 90s or early 2000s eyebrows. <laughs> I like those eyebrows. We have, did we post a picture of that on our Instagram? Yes. Thank God. Oh, please. That is my most favorite we thing. We would never know. We would never know. How could we? But on the back of my check, someone forged my name, which is really creepy. Too <sighs> Truly. like to, It's just so scary. But the IRS came back. And they denied my claim. And so now I've been going through, like, the hellscape that is the bureaucratic process. I've, like, filed police reports, mm-hmm. went to two different precincts, and one would help and one wouldn't. And the only reason someone actually took my statement – did I tell you this? The only reason someone took my statement is because this police officer saw me. I was crying. And oh, he no, was totally hitting on me. What? And because he gave me his number at the end. Oh, God. He was like, I'll make sure you get your claim number, your record number. Like, here, take my number down. I was like, hi, officer, whatever his name. And he's like, no, no, it's Jordan. And I could just tell I got the vibe. And I was like, it just sucks that I had to use my feminine wiles to, like, (laughs) get a fucking police report for a stolen check. But the detective was like, it's the IRS. Nope. Right. But it's been terrible. I mean, but if you guys weren't already convinced to donate to our Patreon, I hope that story moved you. I also had a pair of headphones break this week. Like, we really could use your help. It's a mess over here. Um, (laughs) My check was for $4,400, but Quinn had broke her headphones. So really, any help. Any any help you can give. We're over here just, we're swimming upstream. We're struggling. Okay, so that's the Patreon business. That's the Sarah's Gone, we're self-produced business. Is there any other? I feel like there was like maybe another business. Happy New Year. Oh, welcome. Welcome. Happy New Year. 2020. 2020. This is the year. It's all happening so fast. It's all happening. I think that this is, it feels good. I think this is our year. Oh my God, I haven't oh, seen Oh, I know oh. what I wanted to say. Say it. It's a little bit more business, but it's fun. So other than emailing us, if you have like ideas for what we should be talking mm. about, I was telling Carrie that I have this fantasy. I don't know if you guys noticed, but some of our early episodes were named Da, 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 dear readers. And I was like, take the dear readers off because I would like episodes that are just called dear readers and they would be your stories that mm. are truly darkly creepy. Yeah. So if you have a story that's not a, oh, you guys should tell this story as a book report, but more, I just did the whole book report. Here it is. And it's something that happened to me personally or yeah. to my grandma. Tell us those. Yeah. Also, just because I fucking love to hear them. I love like, um, ghost stories. Like, I love fucking ghost stories. You know what? I hmm. love ghost stories. I'm not about to tell you one, but I am about to tell <gasps> you a deep dive story. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start because the thing is, it's like, I deep dove with this one because we had, a, as I mentioned, we had a little time off. And in that time off, I was visiting my parents and there were some books at their place, including books that my youngest sister Madison, I think, had purchased, and she's kind of into true crime. So one of the books was by a young woman. It's um, a story about her own life. This woman's name is Elizabeth Smart. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. 
I'm so excited. She's been on my list. And really? I've been dying. she's your twin. I mean, we are both blonde, angelic. Beautiful. They, yeah. She's gorgeous. Innocent so I take it as a full cover. No, she's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so she wrote a book. And oh, I read that book. I'm so excited for this story. So I'm going to tell you oh, about that experience of reading that book. It was a sunny day. I was lying out. No, I'm not going to tell you about the experience. I'm going to skip to the contents of the book, actually. That makes more sense. So Elizabeth Smart was 14 years old. That's where we're going to start our story. She is an average teenager, if a bit innocent. Um, She likes jumping on her friend's trampoline. She goes to Sunday school. She is a Mormon. She lives in Salt Lake City, like you do. She has four brothers, one sister, and she lives with her terrific family, her parents. And on a November day in 2001, she's at a shopping center with her mom and her sisters and brothers. And the brothers run up to them from across the street and they had seen a beggar and they were asking the mom, can we help him? And the mom's like, sure. And she gives the beggar $5. And later she offers him, if you want, like there's some work at my house you can come do for money. The beggar sort of subtly gives Elizabeth the once over and Elizabeth notices. She clocks it, but it's not something she has any experience with. Like I said, she's really innocent, so it doesn't totally register with her as obvious creepster vibes or anything. Oh, trust your blink. Trust your blink. This man's name is Brian David Mitchell, but introduces himself to her family as Emmanuel. He's 49 years old. And he does end up coming to their home and doing some yard work and roofing for an afternoon in exchange for some money, which was not an unusual thing. Her parents had hired homeless people before to come to the house and do odd jobs for money. I think that that's something that was sort of a way of giving back, they felt, to their community. But, you know, this time they hired the wrong uh, handyman. As you say, no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, indeedy do-da. So, Brian... Indeedy <laughs> do-da, indeedy day. Yes. <laughs> my, oh, my. I, I always... What a terrible day. Oh, I always say that. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Mitchell. I'm going to do a, a little side uh, bar about Brian Mitchell's life, and then we can re-enter the scene. I just want you to know about this beggar that we're dealing with. I'm calling him a beggar. Air quotes. Brian Mitchell was born in 1953. I'm not going to say his birthday because God forbid it's the same as one of our dear readers. I don't want them to like feel mm. that negative association. That's nice of You're you. You're welcome, readers. It's very Donate nice to our you. Patreon. He was born in Salt Lake City. He was one of six kids because his parents were also Mormon. The family was described by the neighbors as odd. Brian seemed to be a normal child. He was involved in Cub Scouts, Little League, normal stuff. Irene, his mom, seemed nice enough, but his dad, Cheryl, was a little bit off. One guess why. <laughs> Don't name your kid. Cheryl? Yeah, skip it. Wait, how is that spelled? S-H-I-R-L. Yeah, you're not going to see Cheryl in any baby books. No. For... And Cheryl was a weirdo. He <laughs> attempted to teach Brian about sex by showing him sexually explicit pictures in a medical journal. He attempted... Are there such things as sexually explicit photos in medical journals? I don't... 
I'm going to be honest and say I don't own any medical journals. That's you not know, my Thanks vibe. for being transparent. Yeah, I, I, just, they appreciate I, I would that. feel too bad lying about that. We would never lie to you. It's not who I am. No. Um, he also wanted to give his son a life lesson to make him a stronger, smarter, better child, I guess, because when he was 12 years old, he dropped him off in an unfamiliar area of town and just said, now find your way home and <gasps> left. And I d- didn't get the impression it was because he was in trouble. It was just, uh, I'm going to do you this favor. It's so dark. So Brian started to get older and weirder and more withdrawn as a kid. And I don't think that we're confused as to why. And around 16, he was found guilty of exposing himself to a child. And he was sent to a juvenile delinquent hall. And even when you're young like that, the stigma surrounding that was still a thing. And it made it impossible for him to bond with people or make friends because they knew his deal and they were not into it. So he... Goes back home. He's fighting with his mom a lot. So he moves in with his grandma. And after the move, I think he's being watched less. He drops out of school. He starts to use drugs and alcohol. He leaves Utah at 19 and marries a young lass by the name of Karen Minor. And she was um, 16 when they got married. So I guess pun intended with that name. Karen Minor. Is that legal? Where would they get married? In Utah? Yeah. And they had two children in the two years they were together. But then their marriage got sucky. It ended. He gained custody of the children because of her alleged infidelities and drug abuse. But then then Karen remarried and wait, wait, they bri- custody. Sorry, just to clarify, because I was distracted by the ghost upstairs. The pitter-patter of little footsteps. Mitchell got custody of their kids. Yeah. Brian did. And then Karen got custody back. So they ended up with With her. mom. With Karen Minor. Uh, who was probably now 18 better. with two children. I'm going to go on a limb and say probably better. Yeah, she's 18 and has two kids. Yes, but Fuck. he's out of her life, so don't really worry about her. Because then in 1980, Mitchell's brother comes back from a religious mission, and they were really close. And he starts trying to get Brian uh, won over by the other side, like the good side, the religious side. So Brian stops doing drugs and becomes active in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And in 81, he marries his second wife, Debbie Mitchell, who had three daughters from a previous marriage. And in addition to her children and his children, they have two more children after their wedding. And since I'm a mathematician, I'm just going to throw a number at you. Seven. That's how many kids are now in this family. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The marriage starts to get sucky again. New marriage. Mm. Old problems. And his two children are sent to foster homes. Debbie then claims that Mitchell changed. He got super controlling and abusive and started dictating what she could wear, what she could eat. Tell me what to wear. Don't you ever fucking tell me what to eat, by the way. (laughs) I'll Uh, tell Matt. And his interest in Satan was disturbing to her uh, because I guess he talked to Satan a lot. And he was like, you know, keep your friends close but your enemies closer was sort of his thing so he was like i want to be really tight with satan i've got to be tight with satan it just makes sense and so then in 1984 they got divorced and a year after that debbie reported that she believed mitchell had sexually abused her (gasps) three-year-old son division of child and family services couldn't prove that he did or didn't but they recommended he only have supervised visits And then her daughter accused him of sexually abusing her for four years. 
And Debbie reported the abuse but was advised to let it go. On the very day that Mitchell and Debbie get divorced, Mitchell marries another woman. The day of. Wanda Barzi. Wanda's a 40-year-old divorcee with six children, so they have a lot in common. And her family accepts Mitchell, but they did find him to be a bit strange. Some of her children move in with them, but they're not a fan of his eccentric behavior. I'm sure the devil chit-chat and stuff is a little bit much for them. Mitchell starts to work as a die cutter. For the record, I do not know what that is, but it sounds scary because it has the word die and the word cutter. But put together. (laughs) He is active in the Mormon church and... uh, his family and friends sort of observe his tendency toward rage, which he would take out on Barzi, his new wife. Also, they said that his portrayal of Satan during temple rituals became so extreme that he was asked by the elders to tone it down. Just tone it down, they said. So one night, Mitchell wakes one of Barzi's sons and tells him he had just spoken to angels. He got kookier and kept doing stuff like that till the kids left. They were like, we're not going to live here. In the 1990s, Mitchell changes his name to Emmanuel, discontinues his association with the church and starts presenting himself as a prophet of God. And Barzi starts calling herself God Adorneth and considers herself sort of a disciple. She is definitely drinking the Kool-Aid. She's not leaving. She's excited that this guy talks to angels. She is on board. Their friends and relatives decide they don't really want to have anything to do with them. So they become more and more isolated and start. They give up their home. They start to become nomadic creepers, basically. I think that's that's the technical term. Is that the technical term? Nomadic creepers? Let's go back to Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Love her. 14 years old. 14 years old. It's June 4th, 2002, and Elizabeth and her family have gone to bed for the night. She shares a room with her sister, who's nine, Mary Catherine. Mitchell has known since the day he laid eyes on her at the shopping center that he's going to take her. He finds an open window that night and cuts the screen, crawls into their room, goes over to the bed, and wakes Elizabeth holding a serrated knife to her throat. And he whispers to her when she wakes up, I have a knife to your neck. Don't make a sound. Get out of bed or I will kill you and your family. She's stunned. She's paralyzed. She's 14. So she doesn't do a thing. He repeats himself because she's just completely in shock. And she does what he says. She gets up and starts to walk with him toward the closet. Meanwhile, Mary Catherine, the nine-year-old, has woken up but is pretending to be asleep because she's scared out of her wits as well. By the closet, he asks Elizabeth to take her shoes and she reaches for a pair of slippers and he's like, no, your shoes. And that's when she sort of realizes we're going to leave the house. He says to her, I'm taking you for ransom. And he just keeps repeating the threats. So she slowly walks out of this house with him. They walk down the street of the neighborhood and they hear a car coming. It's a fucking police car. And Mitchell drags Elizabeth into a bush and the car doesn't see them. 
No. And as a kid, she rem- she was talking about feeling like this is it. They're going to see me. And just putting all her faith sort of out on the adults in the situation yeah. to save her. And then nothing's happening. So he's like, let's keep going. He holds the knife to her back. And he brings her to a trailhead leading up a mountain and tells her to climb. They start climbing. They're climbing. They're climbing. They're climbing. He's stopping here and there to pee-pee. But that's it. They just keep climbing. Meanwhile, Mary Catherine's lying in bed still paralyzed with fear. She does not know what to do, but is so scared that if she would get up, the man maybe is still in the house and will hurt her. Or hurt her sister. She thought that he had a gun. And she did hear him saying to her sister something about, I'll kill your your family. family. So she's not taking any chances. She's just lying in bed scared. After hours have gone by and it's about four in the morning, she finally goes into her parents' room and wakes them up and says, Elizabeth is gone. You won't find her. A man came and took her. He had a gun. The parents go berserk. They get up. They start tearing through the house. And then they see the screen that was cut. And they really lose it. And they call the police. The search begins. But they are already way up in the mountains at this point. It's been hours that they've been climbing. Climbing. Mitchell and Smart are above the tree line at this point. Uh, They're crossing just past it, and there is an area of oaks, and he yells for Hephzibah, and a woman calls back to him and comes out of hiding. She goes over to Elizabeth and hugs her really aggressively, and this is Wanda Barzi. So they take her to their camp, which is pretty well established, I guess you would say. There's tarps on the ground and hung from the trees to create areas of shade. There's a six-person tent. There's blue Rubbermaid containers everywhere with kitchen utensils. There's a log pile. There's water basins. Elizabeth is pulled into the tent with Wanda, and Wanda washes her feet and asks her to take off her clothes. She says she's going to give her a bath, and Elizabeth's like, oh, uh-huh, that's okay. Like, I just I just took a shower last night. And Wanda hollers out to Emmanuel to basically get his permission to not bathe her. She's like, oh, she said she took a shower last night. Is that Okay. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So she gives her a robe and tells her, take off all your clothes and put this on. And she's like, no. And then Wanda says, if you don't, he's going to come in and rip off all your clothes. So do what I tell you to do. She does. And then Mitchell comes in and he mumbles some weird shit that she doesn't really understand about talking about, like, I seal you to me before God and angels. And then he assaults her. She's fighting back, kicking, screaming, trying to roll away from him. She tells him she hasn't even had her period yet and that she's just a child. And when she does that, he calls out to Wanda. She hasn't had her period yet. Is it still okay? And Wanda shouts back, yeah, it's okay. And he rapes her. Afterwards, she is crying and her pal Wanda comes in and is like, it's okay to cry. It's your wedding day. So she realizes the weird shit he was saying to himself was like a ceremony to marry them in his sick, twisted mind. Meanwhile, her family has gone to the police. Everyone's been questioned. They've turned the house into a crime scene. They're doing search parties. They were on it. Volunteers bring bloodhounds. Helicopters do a sweep. Um, Back at Camp Crazy, Elizabeth, (laughs) yeah, she's... Just, like, strategizing. 
to try to stay alive. That's all that's in her head. She said that in the book a lot, that her whole thought process was, I just need to stay alive. They'll find me. They'll find me. So after she was raped, they they put a cable around her foot and attach it to a tree. So she's like an animal. She can't, she can move about the camp, but only so much. She's still really afraid, though, of being murdered. So she's trying to keep really calm. Wanda's cooking. She goes over and asks if she can help. Mitchell explains to her, you're now my wife and you're Wanda's handmaiden. Blessed be the fruit. May the Lord open. Fuck my life. Yeah. And camp crazy. Yeah. Uh, Not a full 24 hours go by before he rapes her again. And she's begging him not to. And he says, it's we're husband and wife. It's what we do. He tells her the next day we're all going to be as Adam and Eve and we're going to go naked for the day. And he and Wanda are going to demonstrate to her how to have sex. So I just have to say, like, I'm pretty sure that her issue with the sex had little to do with, like, performance anxiety. So this was not a big comfort for her. So then she has naked day with Mitchell and Wanda. That's a picnic. He obviously rapes her again. He knows that she's Mormon. And so during the entire length of her captivity, he's always sort of doing things to mock her belief system and mock her modesty and try to sort of like hit her where it hurts. Basically, like in a form of torture to break her down, he's trying to take her identity away. And she identifies so much with the Mormon community and being Mormon that anything he does to that's an affront to that is stripping away her sense of selfhood. Was it working? Definitely. He gives her a new name, Shirjashub. I'm sorry, which is weirder, Shirjashub or Cheryl? Oh, <laughs> Cheryl. Yeah. Well, maybe it was for his father. Shirjashub. Oh my God. So, so she's like, like she's this like, is can working. it not be that? Can it be Esther? And he's like, Esther's your middle name, but he still keeps calling her Shirjashub. Super bummer about the also, name. Also, yeah, I feel like there's I mean, a big, lot. Of I'm gonna be honest it, with you. I feel like those super bummers keep coming. They keep they just they keep rolling in. And also, I really love the create like her her heart still being like, you know what? Let me have a win. Can it be Esther? Can I just have Esther? And he's like, middle, <laughs> middle name, middle name. So close to the beginning of her captivity, she hears the search party in the woods. They're not far. She hears the distant echo of her name being called. And so does Mitchell. And he comes, he grabs the knife and holds it to her and does his his routine. You better be quiet or I'll, I'll kill them. She recognizes not just her name, but the voice calling it is her uncle David. Oh. And he, t- meanwhile, Mitchell says, if anybody comes to the camp, I'll kill them and it will be your fault. So she stays fucking silent. She does not call out. She has a knife to her throat. Later, they hear the helicopters above the camp looking for her, but they, they were not seen by the helicopters. All the while, oh my God. she's living with also Wanda, who's no friend to her, because Wanda actually has a little bit of jealousy about this relationship with Mitchell, well, the second no wife. Well, no shit. Right. Why'd she agree to it then? Wanda's not meek at all. She's instigating fights with Mitchell left and right. During one of them, they have this fight, and she just leaves the camp for a full day. And during this time, they're disagreeing and making deals with each other, and he agrees to do an every-other-night arrangement with Wanda Elizabeth. Elizabeth is psyched when she hears them making this deal because that's halftime. That's a yeah. break for her. But then he changes it right away and does, okay, Elizabeth's actually going to be my wife at night and you're my wife in the day. Basically, <sighs> he usually when he usually pieces out 
for a good portion of the day anyhow. He does whatever he wants. He goes to town. Anyway, let's get into the religious bullshit that he subjects them to. He would go on rants about God's will and how all of what was taking place was ordained by God. And once during a fight with Wanda, Wanda basically accuses him and says, your taking Elizabeth was not God's will. It was just you wanting to be lustful. He extinguishes the argument by giving her a blessing. So he goes up to her and does like a blessing on her during this argument. And that subdues her. So she's completely cuckoo on the God train with him. Well, she drank the Kool-Aid. She drank it. It's over. That cool. It's like she. It's like in her canteen. She's drinking it every day. It's all over it. She's she, full on. She's swimming inside Mr. Kool Aid's body. Truly, darkly. Hey, Kool Aid. <laughs> <laughs> so after several days, Elizabeth convinces Mitchell to let her go down to the stream with him, so she can take a bath, and she's able to wash. And she tries really hard to leave wet footprints everywhere. Because she's just trying to leave a mark so someone knows that she was there. But meanwhile, she goes back to Camp Crazy. And this is her life there. It's, it is months. He rapes her every day, sometimes more than once. They often have no food or water for days at a time. And then Mitchell will go into town. And he'll go on a bender and bring back items that he stole for them or found in the trash. And that's another crazy way he controls her is that when he goes to town... She does not know when she'll see water or food again, and she's chained to a tree. So if he didn't come back, she would die. So in a weird way, she prays for his return. Do you know what I mean? Oh, God. So it's just another way that he's sort of breaking he just met, down he's her just brain. controlling her. Yes. He, at one point, he comes back from being in town and brings her a missing poster of her. And she's like, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> weird flex, but fine. It gives her hope because it actually... I feel a, like he would do the opposite. It's where he'd a be dumb like, thing to do because what it does is it reminds her that, that people she are people still looking. And people, she has family who love her. It gives her hope and she needed that. And it reminds her, you don't belong here. This is not where you belong. You don't deserve to be here. And after this trip, he also comes back with booze and forces her to drink it, which is sort of what I was talking about with the Mormon thing. Oh. He's always trying to get her to drink and smoke and things Mormons don't do. One night after he's raped her, he tells her how lucky she is and how he brought her out of sin and the ugly world to be his bride. And he explains he's going to have seven brides eventually and that that's God's plan for him. Well, and he's a really big fan of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. It's his favorite film. It's his favorite film and musical. He loves it I'm sure you've never seen it. I haven't. (laughs) During this time, Elizabeth says she slipped into this survival mentality where the only thing she did was to try to survive another day. Her belief in God definitely gave her strength. And throughout the book, she talks about that. During one period, they run out of water and they're all so thirsty. They look all over the camp and they have cups everywhere uh, that they're hoping will fill her buckets and that they use to collect rain mm-hmm. and nothing's there. And they're all three super dangerous feeling thirsty. And Elizabeth that night wakes up and finds a cup of ice cold water near where she sleeps and she dr- drinks it and never tells either of them about it. And she attributes the whole thing to God. Oh. I, that was a really beautiful moment in the book. That just, made me feel. Yes. 
it hopeful. Does, and also so that dark. he well also that in this process of trying to break her and her praying for his return, she still is looking out for herself. Like that is such a I mean, I think that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. On the 4th of July, they climbed to the very top of the mountain that they're camped out on to see the fireworks. And this was so weird. And this is the creepiest thing, I thought. They find a ball and they start playing catch with it. Just the three of them throwing each other the ball. And it's seriously the sickest, saddest thing I've ever pictured. And then they return to camp and Mitchell says it's time for Elizabeth to learn to start giving him oral sex. Oh my so god! The next that day took they a, do... such a turn. That took I I didn't know I didn't anticipate yeah. I didn't anticipate that's where that was going. It's where it's going. No, 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 no! I don't like that. All casual ball play leads to casual ball play, <laughs> and you should have known that all along. So what you're saying is this like sad game of catch was just it it, it can get sadder than that. So oh. but, but again, he's like, let's do this fucked up demo for you, and they give no. her alcohol and they make her perform oral sex. He tries to kiss her afterwards and she bites his tongue. And Go, he, Elizabeth! Wait, wait till you hear his reaction. I think it speaks volumes. She bites his tongue. He holds her down and screams at her. If you ever do that again, I'll never have sex with you. What? Oh, oh my God. And then he says, you understand that, Esther? If you hurt me, I'll never have sex with you again. You'll be the most miserable woman in the world. Well, I wonder if... What can possibly be going on in his brain that he would think to say that to her? See, I think it's because that's... I mean, my armchair analysis of that is that that's the only thing he's using her for. And so if that... She'll be useless. She'll be useless and dispensable and, you know, more torture. Like, I don't think... The God complex has really gotten to him. It sounds like it's some, he's someone who's unwell. I think he's one of those people that told himself the same story over and over again, where it was hard Who to establish. Who do we establish. know like that? Who do we know like that? Don't even say it. <laughs> I don't. So, readers, you know who I'm referring to. <laughs> dear readers, you know. During a convo where she's asking Mitchell, why me? He explains God chose her and that it was his will, and he tells a tale of Um, how he found another girl that he wanted before her. And he followed that girl onto a bus and watched her. But she noticed him. She got the creeps. She got the heebie-jeebies, followed her blink, leapt off the bus as the doors were closing at a stop. So he was like, it wasn't meant to be. Another peach of a convo was... So her family invited him over to do all this work. And so that's what he took it as a sign. They Oh, that's so so sad. sad. They're like they're actually what they were doing was seemed very kind and you know oh god that's so awful they let the wrong one in oh also Mitchell says to her at one point I just wanted to tell you this because it's could you imagine having a conversation like this with someone he tells her he's mad he can't go see his mom and visit her because his mom has a restraining order against him because he threw her down the stairs oh. <laughs> <laughs> can you I just can't like. Um, am I supposed to feel bad? Anyway, when they're having that conversation, he says, this is where my, he kind of mentions where his mom lives. And Elizabeth is, I don't know, delirious, caught off guard, just being herself and is like, oh, I actually, I know that neighborhood. My cousin Olivia lives there. She starts kind of reminiscing about a happier time. Her and Olivia, when they were young, they played, there was a pear tree and a swing. And then Mitchell interrupts her and is like, a pear tree and a swing. I know that house. 
it's yellow, right? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, wait a minute, I have the best idea. I think I should make Olivia my wife. No. Her cousin. No, I don't know. Elizabeth is like, fuck. Fuck. What did I just do? What did I just do? So mainly she's devastated. She's mainly, her main feeling is super guilty that she even brought it up and put Olivia in a position of vulnerability. But she admits that there's this tiny part of her that almost wants it to happen because she's so sad and lonely. And the idea that she would be up there in this hellhole in Camp Crazy, but there would be this glimmer of, yeah, the hope and this person that she loves would be near her. So there's this, you know, she's sort of like, I just have been stuck here with thing one and thing two for so long. I just need like... That, do, that feels like, that feels reasonable. I can justify that. So Mitchell makes a plan to go get Olivia. Really? And it, that plan goes haywire because he does the same sort of shtick. He goes to her home. He cuts a hole in the screen in her kitchen. And he keeps knocking shit down when he cuts the <laughs> oh, hole. God. And he wakes everybody up. So then he comes back to camp and does his, like, you guys... It wasn't God's will after all. So when they did that... She's not did, the right one. Well, when they did that... They did not did a, relate it to her at all. They didn't relate it because to her at all? Because they didn't know he was trying to get Olivia. It just like, seemed like somebody's trying to break in. Yeah, but still the screen. Like, I can't... No, imagine. you're right, actually. That's that a good point. That feels like such a M.O. Elizabeth did not address that... In the book. In the book. That's interesting. I would have to look into that. Meanwhile, Wanda's been getting annoyed... That Mitchell's been going to town and partying so much without her and leaving her up with Elizabeth. They can't leave Elizabeth alone, so... But she wants to go to town, too. Wanda does. So finally, Mitchell, at random, it seems, just decides they can all go to town. So he scrapes all the remaining blue nail polish off of Elizabeth's feet because he decides that's a, a giveaway that it, that would reveal her identity. Wait a minute. She still had blue nail polish from when she was kidnapped? Chipped nail polish, yeah. How long after the kidnapping was this? I want to say a month. So he uh, scrapes off the nail polish, puts her in a headdress and a veil, Mm. and it covers her face, and she's wearing robes. And one thing she wrote about was how much it sort of struck her that she did become invisible in that outfit. People don't like to make eye contact with uh, religious people or Muslims or whatever they thought she was. They didn't, people were avoiding her eyes. And she noticed that because she was she obviously trying. seeking eye contact everywhere. And people were very deliberately disengaging. So he takes them to the store and then to a party where he gives her absinthe. What? You know, he's always like, have a drink. She stays against the wall and speaks to no one the entire time. When they walk back to camp, Mitchell's so drunk he passes out on the walk. Wanda and Elizabeth set up a tent and fall asleep. During when she's abducted, there are a bunch of moments like this that people later will talk about. So many people were like, why didn't she escape? A lot of people thought she had... um, Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, and she will write in the book over and over again, that's not the case. There was at no point... Did I feel connected to these people? Did I feel love for these people? Did I feel anything for these people other than fear? But I was a child. I was afraid. I was constantly afraid that 
if I did any action She'd be to dead. let people know who I was, I was going to get killed. Plus, he's doing all these mind games on her that are making her feel smaller, smaller, smaller. And then to go into town and actually feel what it's like to be invisible. Ugh. It, so, I hate this. I was so excited for this story. And now I want it to be over. I know, but it's important to know what happened. Right? I agree. Well, also, I remember, like, because didn't they, there were people that spotted her. Yeah, right? we'll get to that too. Because so, I remember, I remember seeing pictures of this. So every single thing she does is about survival. It's not about escape. Yeah, you, there are pictures of her at this party. Oh God! You can see them online. Uh, after that night, though, that she goes to the party and comes back, they decide they don't need to chain her anymore, so they stop chaining her. And she says in the book, "I was still welded to Mitchell. I was anything but free." His words were stronger to me than any chains or cables ever could be. So it wasn't Stockholm Syndrome. It was just abuse. It It was was a 14-year-old that was getting raped every day and was given a different name and was terrified. And had never experienced and didn't even know anything about that kind of thing. So occasionally now he does bring her to town with him. And at one point they're all at a library together looking at maps of California where Mitchell thinks they should move. And a man approaches them and says he's a detective. Um, And he says he thinks that she's Elizabeth, a girl that's been missing. And can he see her face? (gasps) The most direct thing on the planet, right? Aren't you like, then the story ends? Oh, my God. No, I'm heartbroken because I know it It doesn't doesn't end. end. And I'm horrified. Super calm. And he explains, my daughter can't show her face except to her husband. And they go back and forth like this. And Elizabeth just sits saying nothing. And he keeps pushing very calmly the religion point and being like, it, it, no, it's not possible. She could only show her face to her husband. And the detective backs down. No. You are so close. Imagine what's going through Elizabeth's mind. It's nuts because she was couldn't believe it. And she couldn't say but She anything. felt she could not do anything. She sat silent. Oh. So... As soon as they leave, Mitchell's at first, he's on cloud nine. He feels so powerful. He's like, God helped us get away. But then he actually has sort of a sober moment and realize how close he just got to being caught. And he feels like, actually, we really, we we need to beat it. We need to beat it. So Elizabeth's not, first of all, she's not allowed to go to town anymore. And after this, there's another close call where a couple dudes hiking come upon the camp and call out anyone home before walking back down to the city And when that happens, Mitchell is decidedly, today's the day. We're getting the fuck out of camp. This is getting way too close. They got on a bus. They go to San Diego. They build a second Camp Crazy. I call it Camp Crazy 2. Is that in your notes, Camp Crazy 2? No, but I just thought of it. But I like it. It's very good. It's clear. The name is clear. It's direct. You know what it is. So back to her same routine at this camp. Boredom, hunger, rape. That's the routine. Thanksgiving comes. So, in other words, we're at Thanksgiving. She was abducted in June. The beginning of June. We're in Thanksgiving now. Thanksgiving comes. And the highlight of that was there was a truck giving away food for the homeless. But they get there too late. They get no food. Christmas comes. Here's a Christmas story. A man (sighs) gives each of her and Wanda and Mitchell headphones and a small radio. She is psyched, so she plugs in her headphones 
gets to vanish into music for a minute. But as they're walking and she's listening, Mitchell starts going on a cuckoo religion rant, preaching about evil and how the songs will lead them to hell. And he's doing it nonstop, broken record, will not cease to a point where Elizabeth at one point takes the earphones out and throws the radio in the trash. As soon as she does it, he waits a few beats because they're walking and he keeps he puts his earphones in and starts listening to his radio. So she just threw hers away. It was just like a fucking power play, Everything wasn't he does. it? Oh, God. So he's doing his same shtick where he's going to town, pretending to be a beggar, wearing beggar clothes, trying to get money, food. He meets a family that brings him home and gives him dinner. And he decides he likes the look of their daughter and that he's going to take her for his next wife. No. On January 4th, Mitchell explains he's going to go get her. But then he returns to camp without her. And I guess what happened is he did break into the house and he realized the dad was asleep in the living room on the couch Mm. and he would have to get the daughter and sneak past the dad. So he says, she's not the girl. This is God's plan. Sleep in your living room, I guess. I guess. I guess that's the, that's who needs ADT? Who needs Simply Safe? Sleep Sleep on the couch. Done. So in the coming weeks, Mitchell goes to town and does not return. Wanda and Elizabeth have nothing to eat, and they begin to starve. After a week, he returns with food and tells them what happened. He was outside a market and saw a lady with a shopping cart pop some pills from her purse and asked her if he could have some of the pills. And when she said no, he grabbed the grocery cart with her purse and runs and steals her purse. So he gets taken to jail. He gives a fake name. Can you do that in jail? Apparently, he got released after seven days. What? It's that's crazy. The things that happen that she didn't get found, it's maddening. So Elizabeth does this kind of clever thing at this point where she starts to float the idea that God talks to her too and that he told her they should go back to Utah. Cuz she's realizing in California she's no just one will find her. it's no. it's less She doesn't know she's national found. news. She doesn't know that. Correct. So, but she is right that it Yeah. It would be better back in Utah where her family is. And she was a member of their community and the Mormon community. And they want her back in a different way. Yeah. Basically, she's just, she's no dummy. Weirdly, Mitchell listens to her and they hitchhike back to Utah. They hitchhike? They do. Oh, there's but so many people. before going, he's, he tells her, we have to disguise you. And he buys her an old lady wig and dark green sunglasses that makes her whole veil get up. Just double nutso. So one of the rides they get is with this creepy psycho. How many psychos must there be in the world who insinuates more than several times during the ride that he wants to have his way with Elizabeth as payment for the ride? But Mitchell, thank God, won't share her. So they end up fighting and they get out. They end up eventually at a bus stop for the last leg of the trip. And while they're at the bus stop, some dude comes up to them. Oh, my God. And starts asking them a million pointed questions as though he knew it was Elizabeth. Really? He starts being like, who are you? What's your religion? Why is she wearing a wig? They start to walk away. And during their walk, they're like, forget it. We're not going to wait for this. We're going to walk to the city. And during their walk, a man starts to tail them and is like, sir, I need to talk to you. I need to see ID. And they just keep walking. Another man joins in and they're both like, we're actually police. And a guy comes up alongside her 
and says, what's your name? What's your name? She does not speak. And they keep asking and she keeps not answering. One officer says to the other officer, she won't talk. She's scared of him. So the other officer switches gears and instead of yelling and getting up in her face and being like, who are you? Who are you? He calmly says to her, are you Elizabeth Smart? Because if you are, your family has missed you so much since you were gone. They want you back. They love you. They want you to come home. I know it's so much. (laughs) And she she turns, she just turns to him and she goes, I am Elizabeth. Oh God. That was like the first thing she said to a stranger in That's so sad and beautiful. Months and months and months. They put her in a separate car from him. They weirdly handcuff her. That's questionable. Uh, That Uh, feels not right. Yeah, I didn't love that. Don't love that move. But it's (laughs) not not until eight years after this that there's a trial for Brian David Mitchell and Wanda Barzi. Eight years? Eight years. That's just fucked. Let me tell you, you'll like this. After she's reunited with her mom, I want to tell you what her mom said to her. Her mom said, you be happy, Elizabeth. Just be happy. If you go and feel sorry for yourself or if you dwell on what has happened, if you hold on to your pain, that's allowing him to steal more of your life away. So don't you do that. Don't you let him. There is no way that he deserves that. Not one more second of your life. You keep every second for yourself. You keep them and be happy. God will take care of the rest. And I love that. I feel mixed on that. That's maybe a controversial thing. I don't think the like, reason I feel mixed about that. Allow her to feel her feelings. Yeah, I feel mixed on that for that. And also it's like, you be happy. And I'm like, well, that's a lot to ask I for someone mom, who was though. You got, I, I mean, do think that you would be like. I also can identify because I think my mom would also be like, you fucking fight. Like it's, it's. And like, fuck him. Yeah, it was. Don't. It feels like the difference between tough love mm-hmm. and the or and normal love. What's <laughs> the opposite of tough love? But it feels, I don't know because I've only ever I've experienced, only experienced the first. tough love. Yeah. Likewise, but I I think there is that like it it, it sounds. I mean, I think it's like it, it's rooted in compassion, certainly. And she mm-hmm. was right, and I think it helped. You know, I mean, she must have felt so powerless to have had this happen to her daughter too. Yeah, that of course. I think she really was using all the power she had to try to end the sadness and the darkness, which you can't do. You can't. No. You still don't have power over that. But I feel like if you could beg your child to be happy and it was a real thing and they could satisfy it, you would do that. And I do feel that it meant a lot to Elizabeth the way she wrote about that experience in the book. She loved her family a lot, and her mom especially, I think, was a huge source of strength for her upon her return. Mm. There must have been, because she was so young and raised in a Mormon community and made to do all these horrible things, there must have been some internal part of her that felt she was not going to be loved or accepted the way that she once had been. And I think that upon going back to her parents, she did feel that love. Yeah. Uh, on May 21st, 2010, Wanda Barzi was sentenced to 15 years in federal prison for her role in the abduction and assault of Elizabeth, as well as one to 15 years in the Utah State Prison for attempted kidnapping of Olivia. She was released in September no. 2018. Why, God? Three months after Barzi's release, 
it was revealed that she's living near a Salt Lake City elementary school. No. There appears to be no restrictions on how close she can live to a school, although Utah's state rules disallow her from going onto the school property. So that's pretty disappointing. Beyond. Beyond. On May 15th, 2011, Brian David Mitchell was sentenced to life in federal prison. He has no chance of parole. Thank God. So peace out, you fucking godless piece of shit, psychopath motherfucker. And he did try to claim that he was cuckoo in court. And I won't get into all that because it's not because fuck him. Fuck him. Who needs more time? He doesn't need any more of our time. But Elizabeth in testifying against him. Because she famously, like, confronted him in the court, didn't she? She 100%. And she was like, that guy's not crazy. He knew what he was doing. He got up and decided to do it every day. He demonstrated very clear planning on what he did to me. And she did her piece in... She spoke her piece. I mean, for someone to have gone through this, she does feel a little bit... I mean, not normal is such a bloated word, but she does feel healthy in a lot of ways every yeah, every she like, goes interview out, she that i've seen outreach her. stuff and talks and and she wrote this book i mean this book is it reminds me of one of incredible. the first stories the ariel castro oh because that was also reading yeah i also feel like uh if you uh dear readers if you are into true crime you obviously must be a little bit to be listening to this <laughs> that is a good way to support victims and yeah. survivors if to you want to hear their, their story after. go directly to their source uh, the source because they've been through it man and the strength it must take to tell us about it is mind-blowing is insane so that is the story of, of elizabeth smart, smart as told to me by elizabeth smart god damn. by her book oh my gosh thanks for sharing that i feel like i knew I knew the story of Elizabeth Smart, mm-hmm. but I did too. And I remember but uh, I wanted pictures more. of her at the party. And I remember people speculating on why there were all these times she could have yelled out for help and didn't. And so it was really good to hear it. I don't love that. I don't love when people speculate about that. Like why? It's like, well. It reminds me a little bit of the argument. There's something about it that has a flavor I think I know what you're going to say. Of women asking for it by yes, dressing a certain way. I agree. Way, I knew exactly that. Where I you're totally like, oh, agree. I'm sorry. I didn't realize the burden of rescue and getting out of the situation was on a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> I think that we should be talking about everything else that went wrong. The detective that walked away, how many more times was she raped? Yeah. I and mean, that was in Utah. And then they went to California. It almost became a I lost just can't, cause But I also can't believe... The people that followed them in that last bus stop, they trusted their blink, you know, like yeah. the fact that oh, they yeah. were able. And I mean, I'm and I think he, the guy that started asking them questions when they were at the bus called stop, back up. I I'm I don't think he was a cop. I think he was a citizen. And I think he called the police and he was like, I see a woman wearing a weird wig and a headdress and a guy with her. And it's not right. And, and Elizabeth's on wrong. everyone's mind. Something's wrong. Get here. But I think that guy super followed his blink and was on it. I don't have proof of that. No, but I think but that is what happened. That's wild. That's yeah. wild. It's a crazy, crazy story. And I didn't know the details of it. Uh, and even though they're so dark and ghastly and gut-wrenching, I was glad to know her story. Me because too. I had it wrong in my head, a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, I think 
it's easy to paint with broad strokes when you hear these stories and it's like, oh, she was found. And, you know, it's not, I think I knew sexual assault was definitely a part of that. There's sexual violence, but I, you know, every time I hear those stories of these survivors, I'm like, the, the human condition is, the human spirit is incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't believe. Ugh. Ugh. I guess it's my turn. Yeah, I hope you have a really uplifting tale of beauty. Well, it's not super uplifting, but what it is is it's interesting. What's interesting is that earlier tonight you said, Elizabeth Smart is you, and I said, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. This story is me. Is not you. It's related to me. Do you want to know why this story is related to me? Yes. It's because... In my life as an actor, go on. I starred in the investigation discovery <gasps> ID TV series <gasps> called Most Likely to Episode Till Death Do Us Part. I have never been more excited for a story. This is the story in this moment of Lynette Kraft. As played by Carrie Ipema. As played by Carrie Ipema. Okay. If you're on Discovery ID, you can go online, watch it. It's a lot of crying. It's So it's a reenactment show, as you Discovery ID heads are wont to do. Wait, are you going to tell the story or act it? Oh, good question. Or mix? Mix. Okay, No. The thing about what what they don't tell you about Discovery ID shows is that it's all improvised (laughs) language, and it's usually, like, heightened romantic language. So it's really, like... The situations are really crazy heightened, and they don't really give you what to say. So it just comes, it just feels very trite and treat cheesy. But this is a story of, most importantly, this is a story of Lynette Craft. So Lynette Craft is from Wisconsin, and she meets her husband, her future husband, Tom Craft. So it's Lynette Quast is her name, and they're high school sweethearts, and she was a cheerleader, and she was well-loved in college or in high school, and a smart woman. In fact, the, the title of the series is called Most Likely To, dot, 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 and I believe she was, you know, a most likely to succeed type. So she went to college. She was really studious. I remember there was a whole part where her friend, this was an anecdote that I'm just remembering now, that her friend had said Lynette would study and she loved highlighters and she would highlight important parts of the book. And then her friend saw the book and the whole book was highlighted and her (laughs) friend got like a nice little chuckle on that. So... Lynette and Tom dated, they got married, they were engaged, they got married, and he's an engineer, and they moved to Ohio. So they had two sons at this point, a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old, and they lived in the same house for 12 years. And this is where the relationship for years had kind of been crumbling, right? Neighbors of Lynette said that she was really afraid of her husband and she wanted to leave him. However, she's deeply Catholic, deeply Catholic, and does not believe in divorce. Yeah, super problematic. Um, And every time she tried to leave him, he then convinced her to stay. It's there's no record of abuse, as there's no there's no like she never called she never called the cops or anything. But there were stories of her like, (laughs) and I know this because 
I had to do it. There's stories of her in a bathrobe with just a swimsuit on walking down the streets kind of dazed. She was on medication. She, oh, interesting. He was... Like he rung her psycho, bell and she like, didn't know it was He that? would lock her out of the house at night and okay. she'd just be sitting there waiting to get back in. Just really mm. abusive shit. And so every time shit hit the fan, she'd call her dad or her parents in Wisconsin and they would inevitably drive down to try to get her and then... You know, everything would be fine Mm -hmm. by the time they got there. This is late June 1999, and she and Tom had fought. And she had also, keep in mind, she just had an eight-month-old. And I think there was also some postpartum stuff. She just was not doing well. So what happened was she called her dad. He came down to Ohio. But when he got there, she wasn't there. Tom was there. Her father stayed up with Tom thinking that Lynette was kidnapped on a Wednesday night. The next morning, there was a McDonald's en route, and there was a janitor who was taking trash out from a trash bin. And I don't know, there's some speculation, I don't even know if I want to include this, but there's speculation that this person was on the spectrum, so they had a heightened awareness of Mm -hmm. this thing. And he picked up the trash and he noticed it was heavier than it should have been. And when he looked into it, he found um, severed legs from the knee down. (gasps) So they immediately called the the Washtenaw County Police um, and they came in and looked and then they were trying to match it with missing persons. And her father had filed a missing persons report. And then they were looking up and down this highway and there were two other dumpsters where they found pieces of body parts. So they found a torso in one and they found a severed head in another. And the head matched that of Lynette Craft. It is so weird how many people dismember bodies mm-hmm. because at my craziest, if I could kill someone, but that, that is so different than killing someone. To kill them and then... Yeah. saw them into pieces when you do that unless you're uh like into that type of shit what i think it is is it's to me it feels like you're in like what do i do how do i fix this play mindset it's not i i, th- I think but it's don't you agree that it if you killed someone and you're in a panic it is a different kind of person that would go all right, I got to find a place to bury the body or put the body where I can light it on fire or tie rocks to the body and drop it in water. There is a very it's like particular kind of person that can go get tools and saw apart a body. Well, wait till you hear what happens. Okay, wait till you hear what happens. So they find those three parts, right? And so Lynette, at the age of 37, was murdered. And what they... Th- I'm 37. <gasps> Happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) Question mark. Happy birthday. So they could not pinpoint the cause of death due to the many other missing parts, but they knew it was recent because there was no decay Mm. in the body. Mm -hmm. So this was on Thursday. So when they did their investigation, they knew it had to happen within the last couple of days. So what their theory is is because – there was proof that she was scared at home. Neighbors had come. They'd brought some neighbors in for questioning and Tom, her husband. I hate calling him her husband, you know? 
it's legally factual. Legally so. factual, but I just I get hate. It. I just the sentiment hate that. blows. So what they think happened is after a fight on Tuesday, he killed her, and then for fear, he dismembered the body and then distributed it while driving up to Ann Arbor, Michigan. So they live in Ohio. They he drove through Michigan. The body was found in Michigan, so across state lines. He like scattered all over. What's crazy is they bring him in for questioning on July 3rd, or they he's held on a murder charge July 3rd, 1999. So pretty quickly after, they know it's him. And they tear up the house and, you know, they test all the rugs and everything like that. His defense is that she killed herself, but because she was so deeply Catholic that he wanted to cover up her sin. Mm. And so he cut, chopped up her body. Hmm. And what do the Catholics think about murder? chopping up bodies? Not great. As someone who was raised Catholic, it's going to be a hard bad guy, bad guy, bad guy okay. deal. I mean, murder, top ten commandments. Chopping up bodies, not, but that feels like honor thy mother and father. It was a footnote for <laughs> sure. Was, that was a bad pun. <laughs> oh, oh, he didn't even know. That was a bad I'm a poet and I don't, don't know even it. know it. Thomas Kraft, her husband, ended up getting a deal where he got, he pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and an abuse of a corpse and was sentenced, guess how many years? Ten. Twelve. Oh, I'm so right. I hate being right about that I hate that you're right, right? I had to look up what voluntary manslaughter was because... I just wanted to make sure I know because I feel like we say it all the time and I don't actually know. So tell me what you learned. Voluntary manslaughter is commonly defined as an intentional killing in which the offender had no prior intent to kill, such as a killing that occurs in the heat of passion. The circumstances leading to the killing must be the kind that would cause a reasonable person to become emotionally or mentally disturbed. Otherwise, the killing would be charged as first or second degree. Second degree is... Self-defense? No, no. That's just I a whole think, other thing. What's I th- second degree? I think self-defense is involuntary what manslaughter. What you just described is what I would have thought second degree murder Where was. it's like you didn't plan to, but you just but you took opportunity. It. I think it's, so then it says, this offense lies somewhere in between killing of another with malice, a forethought, a.k.a. murder, mm-hmm. and the excusable, justified, or privileged taking of a life that does not constitute a crime, such as some cases of self-defense. So this is, like, in between the two. Mm. Now, to me, I hate that it was a heat of the passion because mm-hmm. I think it was premeditated. I think, like, I don't – I think he should get first degree because he's been abusing this woman forever. That, to me, that's pr- – Well, 12 years is atrocious. He killed it's someone disgusting. and chopped up their body. I mean, that's – I mean, and, and his wife the and the mother of his children. Like, this fucking vile. This person shouldn't be allowed out. To walk? Okay. Yes. Which brings me to my next point. So, I don't know if you can do math. This Sometimes. happened in 1999. Go on. 12 years later. 2011. He's out. Been out. He's been out. Out. What's he been up to? So at 48 years old, he was released from jail, and he went to a halfway house in Allen County in Ohio. Bob Quast, which is Lynette's brother, he found out through hearsay or like a small community, they find out that Tom Kraft, who killed their mother, sister, family member, he's going to move back to Wisconsin and be within 
five minutes, five miles of his children. Bob Quas, the brother, is fucking livid. Fucking livid. So what he does is he creates a law called Lynette's Law to protect the victim's family after this type of thing. So he petitioned to have Tom not allowed into Wisconsin and have him forced to stay in Ohio. Because as he said... He has time to murder my entire family in Whitewater, come back, drive back from Whitewater, Wisconsin, and tell you, oops, I didn't find a job today. So he was pushing for stronger victims' rights, asking legislators to introduce what he called Lynette's Law. Their eight-year-old son said he saw a video of his dad watching How to Dismember a Body. (gasps) The eight-year-old saw that? The eight-year-old saw his dad watching a video of How to Dismember a Body. Horrible. That's so upsetting. The only piece of silver lining that I can provide you, dear readers, and Quinlan Posner with is Bob Quast. He became active in the political world and he made a campaign video. I don't know. Should I just play it? Oh, yeah. Can you put it up on your computer? Because I think yeah, you need so to just send me the link. It's just so good. It's so good. It's my favorite thing that I've found. Hi, I'm Bob. I am running. Running for Iowa's open seat in the U.S. Senate. Term limits for Congress need to become the 28th Amendment to our U.S. Constitution. I believe in every aspect of our Constitution, which even a baby knows includes the Second Amendment. If you are the sexual predator and sociopath who murdered my sister Lynette, and you come to my front door to do harm to my girls, I'm going to use my Glock to blow your balls off. Liberals like Bruce Braley want to restrict our gun rights, including this magazine with 15 bullets. As Iowa's next U.S. Senator, I shall defend every piece of the U.S. Constitution, which, as Emory just taught Mr. Braley, includes the right to bear arms found in the Bill of Rights. Now, please do not confuse me with Iowa's Republican candidate for U.S. Senate. Hi, Mr. Braley. You have nothing to fear, as we are friendly folks here in Iowa. Please accept my open invitation for a public debate prior to our June 3rd primary. I will leave my gun at home, join a commuter knife on the farm, as long as you agree to leave your elite law degree in D.C. We'll just use our brains to debate your reckless laws and taxes like Braley Care, including common sense solutions to clean up your messes. I am Bob Quast, just a simple problem solver from Iowa who never went to law school, but I did create and approve this video. Bob Quast <laughs> was showing off. <laughs> A gun and a knife. <laughs> that entire video. Listen, it's, listen. I don't I, agree politically, but I gotta but I tell you. I have to say this: like the fact that we played that video, I, all I can tell you is it's not meant for podcasts because words did not do justice to what was happening in that video. But I will. I wrote down. I wrote down that in case we don't want to include that because I just feel like oh, we th- have to include that. Forget it. It's so good, right? So he run, he's running for Senate, and I don't believe he won. <laughs> but he made that. He got. He asked his neighbor to make that video for him for like, like five hundred bucks, and it oh, got like he should have given me five hundred dollars, maybe eight hundred, but like a nominal it amount. Didn't look very well produced. Not at all. But it actually, I'm running for Senate. Um, <laughs> for but Senate, he talks that is. About it. He talks. <laughs> And the baby's in the front. It's so good. You guys like, got to watch it's this It's so video. good. But so he's fighting for term limits. And then in the middle of his campaign announcement, he goes, I believe in the Second Amendment. 
And if you are the sexual predator and sociopath who murdered my sister Lynette and you come to my front door to do harm to my little girls, I'm going to use my Glock and blow your balls off. And then there's a pan to his face and he smiles and his teeth goes ding. (laughs) (laughs) That to me just makes everything a little bit. What a prize. What a prize, right? And I just want to say this because this is a case uh, of domestic violence and one that we see so fucking frequently, unfortunately. Tale as old as time. Song as old as rhyme. The executive director of the Washtenaw County Domestic Violence Project was quoted in some of the articles that I was reading. They said national studies show that 75% of assaults occur when a woman is trying to end a violent relationship. And so what they hypothesize is that she was trying to leave. And in the portrayal that I was in, it was portrayed as Lynette was trying to leave Mm -hmm. and Tom wouldn't let her. And then their eight-year-old son watched a video, watched his father watching a video of how to dismember a body. So fucked up. So horrible. So that is the sad story of Lynette Kraft and her asshole. I'm going to call him her ex-husband. Because it was her wish to be ex. It was her wish to be ex because... But that's why the title is called Till Death Do Us Part. And she was she's like, she didn't believe Ooh. in divorce. I suicide. can't wait to watch your portrayal of Lynette. You know. I'm in it to win it. Are you going to watch it? What do you think? Of course I'm going to watch do it. Do you have access to it? I've got to figure out how to give you it. You can look it up online. I think I can watch it. I have my parents' Xfinity stream password. Oh my God. Can we watch it together? Death. We'll have to put a picture because it's very, I felt I was going through something very problematic. I just signed to she, Quinn what it was. It was. And I gave a really great acting performance because oh, I was how therapeutic. Really, I found yeah. I'll tell you the full story later. But it was that was right in the middle. Crazy. Well, I know you have a party to get to. I do. Carrie and, and my Matt. husband are going to a party together tonight. <laughs> so um, make of that what you will. You know what? Let's start rumor mills. Let's get where we're self-produced. Let's get weird. Let's page six this. Let's page six this. Truly darkly creepy. <laughs> We missed you. We love you. We're so glad we're back. We're so glad we're back. And I really hope this recorded. Oh, man. That's my biggest wish. (laughs) That's my biggest wish at this moment. My greatest fantasy and worst nightmare is all wrapped up in that ball of microphone in front of me. Fingers fucking crossed. There's going to be some errors you can expect over the next uh, few months, but we're we're learning. We're We're getting our swimming legs. I don't know if you noticed. I was trying to be really quiet today when you were telling your story. Oh, yeah, I did notice that. Was it problem or was it okay? I don't know. You know what? I'll tell you when I go to edit the app. <laughs> By the way, you know the drill. Tell your friends. Hide your family. Hide your kids. Hide like your family, us, subscribe. Hide your kids, but tell your friends. But tell your friends. Also, get us some new readers. Feel free to donate a dollar a month. We'd really fucking appreciate it. And, and who knows? Us. Maybe we'll thank you on our next podcast. Who knows? We're going to thank you hard. We're going to thank you so hard. You're not even going to handle it. <laughs> Do you want to go have a pregame wine for your party? Oh, I can't even wait. All right. Thanks for coming. Bye. Love Adios. You. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Adios. <laughs> <laughs>